Boy, that is true. It's awfully hard sometimes to sing that song uh, and mentioning all those things that we need to be thankful for. You know, as I was thinking about this morning and following up on Thursday, having just come through the day that we call Thanksgiving, and searching for a passage that maybe we don't usually use on Thanksgiving Day. I came to a passage found in the book of Jonah. Uh, quite an unusual book uh, for a Thanksgiving sermon. And yet we find a prophet, especially in chapter 2, a prophet who was a very, very grateful man. Normally, we equate Thanksgiving with times of blessing and prosperity. And as a result, we're often thankful for those times when the sun is shining, the birds are singing, and life is blooming. But that's not the case in our text this morning. Jonah was in a giant fish, and yet he was still a very grateful man. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18, we have a verse that we often quote, and it says this. It says, to be thankful in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will. You know the story. You know that God came to Jonah, the prophet, and said to Jonah, go to Nineveh. Go to this city. This city that was very, very wicked. This city that was evil and immoral. This city that was cruel and corrupt. And God says to Jonah, go to Nineveh. And preach against it. Preach judgment. Let them know that I, God, I am going to judge them because of their sins. You know, it probably would be something like this. If you were to be called of God, God spoke to you one night and said, I want you to go to the people of ISIS. A wicked, cruel group of men. And I want you to go and preach to them judgment. Oh, you'd be all for that. But you know what Jonah started to think? Jonah started to think about God. And what if God, for some reason, because he knew God was loving, he knew God was compassionate, what if the people of Nineveh were to repent of their sins? What if they decided that we don't want the judgment of God? We're going to change our ways. And Jonah says to himself, I, I, they deserve judgment. They don't deserve the grace of God. These people don't deserve God's mercy. I'm not going to Nineveh. I think that might be our mentality as well. I'm not going to go to ISIS. What if God forbid they repent of their sins? 
knowing God, it would just be like God to forgive them. Is anyone beyond the grace of God? Is anyone beyond the mercy of God? Well, this is how Jonah's thinking. I'm not going to Nineveh because I know what God might do. God might just forgive them, and they do not deserve forgiveness. So what does he do? He runs away. He goes in the opposite direction of Nineveh. He's not going to obey the command of God. He goes to a place called Joppa. And there in Joppa, he gets on this ship. And on the ship, we read in the book of Jonah that God sends a great wind and a storm. And the ship begins to rock and almost break apart. And the sailors on the ship, they determine that the gods are against us. But who is it on this ship that is causing these gods to send the storm and to send the wind? And the lot cast upon Jonah. It's Jonah's fault. And they throw him overboard. And Jonah lands in the Mediterranean Sea. And there... God provides this great fish. Not only does he provide the wind in chapter 1, but he provides a great fish. Not to destroy Jonah, but to deliver Jonah. This great fish swallows the prophet. And Jonah now is in the belly of this great fish. And we have in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah what someone has called a psalm of thanksgiving. A psalm of thanksgiving. Kind of a strange place for a thanksgiving sermon, but it is that. It is a psalm. It is a prayer. Because Jonah has been delivered from death in the sea. Had God not provided a great fish, there would be no story about Jonah. He would have drowned in the sea. And what we have in chapter 2 of the book of Jonah is we have Jonah recalling the experience of sinking down into the depths of the waters. Here is Jonah sinking down into the sea, and he's recalling the great, the, not the great experience, but he recalls the experience in those waters. And he thanks God for his mercy. He thanks God for his mercy that God should provide this fish. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Look at Jonah chapter 2 and follow along as I read. From inside the fish... Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And this is what he said. In my distress, I called to the Lord. And he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead or the grave, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas and the currents. They swirled about me. 
All your waves and breakers, they swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, and yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters, they threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, you brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. What Jonah is describing here in chapter 2 is a near-death experience. A near-death experience and thanks God for his saving mercy and grace. So where was Jonah? Well, he was in three places at least. One was a very deep place. Jonah was in a deep place. You know, I believe this is a true story. I actually am one of those that believe the Bible, when it says something, it's true. I hope you do too. Not everyone does. Many scoff and mock at stories such as these. A man being swallowed by a great fish. But when I read a story such as this one, I believe it to be true. And I believe when I read a text such as this one, that I, I take it literal. I believe when Jonah speaks these words, he means what he says. And he's describing this, this experience. He's describing the terror, the helplessness against the currents that are swirling around him. The waves that are crashing upon him and pushing him deeper and deeper. Seaweed that's wrapped around his face. And his prayer, God help me. Have you ever prayed one of those prayers? Have you ever just said, God help? Remember Peter? Remember when Peter was in, one of, in a boat with the disciples and it was in the late at night and it was dark? And they see a figure that's walking across the water? And they think it at first to be somewhat of a ghost-like figure. And Jesus says, oh, no, don't be afraid, man. It's me. It's me. And Peter says, Lord, if it's really you, then ask me to come toward you. And Jesus says, come. And Peter starts out. Things were going pretty well until he felt a wave splashing against his body. And he started to sink because he became afraid. And what was Peter's prayer? Lord, save me. <laughs> you know, sometimes we come to situations and we, all we can say is just, God, help. We don't have to be, have lengthy prayers. We don't have to go on and on and on. Sometimes God just needs to hear 
that we need his help. I was reading a story of three pastors, and these three pastors, they uh, got together in this room, and over in the other room, there was a telephone repairman. And these three pastors were discussing the correct posture of prayer. One pastor, and uh, this repairman keeps uh, his ear toward the wall, he listens, and one pastor says, oh, when we pray, our hands need to be folded with our fingers pointed upward. Now, that's when God really acts on our behalf. Oh, no, no, the other pastor says, when I pray, I'm on my knees. If you want to get God working on your behalf, you need to be on your knees. Oh, the third pastor says, no way. None of those, you need to be prostrate. You need to be face down. And this telephone repairman over on the side, he's all ears, and he just can't wait to add his two cents. And so he comes to the hallway and he says, listen, I hear what you're saying, but the most powerful prayer that I have ever prayed is when I was dangling by my heels above the telephone pole, 40 feet above the ground. Sometimes it takes a crisis situation for us to be driven to cry out to God. Jonah is in that situation. Jonah is drowning in the waters. This is a deep place, a dark moment for Jonah. And he cries out to God for help. We read words like grave, dead, pit. All of these words describe this near-death experience. When Jonah feels literally that the waters are over his head. And he's crying out to God for help. And he cries out to his father. Another story I heard of in Bible school one time, the teacher was teaching this story on Jonah. And they, she was teaching these six-year-old children. And um, they got to the place where Jonah was in the belly of this great fish. And she said, well, boys and girls, now how, what would you do if you were in this fish to get God or to get this fish to, swat, to, to vomit you out? What would you do? Well, one little boy says, you know what I would do? I'd start a fire. I, you know, if I started a fire, that fish would certainly vomit. The other one little girl says, I would stomp on his tongue. That would hurt enough. And then the children went on and on, and this one said this, and this one said, and then one little girl says, you know what I'd do? I'd call my daddy. He'd come and help. And see, that's what Jonah did, did he not? Jonah cries out to his father. He cries out to God in this terrible situation as he's in this deep moment. And God comes to his rescue. But it's not just a dark place. It's not just a deep place in which Jonah finds himself. But it's also a divine place. A divine place. We didn't read in chapter 1, but if you look at chapter 1 and verse 4, it says in verse 4, Then the Lord sent a great wind. you see that? What caused the storm? God did. God sent a great wind. In verse 17 of chapter 1, 
Now the Lord provided a huge fish. And then we read at the end of, verse, uh, end of chapter 2, verse 10, And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry ground. Who's in charge? God's in charge of this whole circumstance, this whole situation. And Jonah knows that. Because notice what Jonah says in his prayer. Look at verse 3 again in chapter 2. You hurled me into the depths. And down in verse, or at the end of verse 3, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. Jonah knows that even though he's drowning in the sea, he's in this deep and dark place, that God's there. And God has brought all of this about. It's interesting, he doesn't blame the sailors for throwing him overboard. You, God, hurled me overboard. Well, God didn't literally do that, right? But God used the sailors. He used the sailors. These are your waves and breakers. Jonah doesn't curse the storm. He knows that God has caused the storm. And so Jonah... We say to ourselves, how can I be thankful in a dark place? How can you be thankful when, when it feels as though the waters of life are just crashing on top of you? Because in the dark place and in that deep place, it's a divine place. Because God is there. God is always there. We have the great promise of Jesus that I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. How can, how can Jonah be thankful in a situation like this? Because he knows that God is sovereign and God is in control. As I said earlier, you know, this last song we just sang, to be thankful for all those things that were mentioned, that's not an easy thing to do. It's hard to be thankful when you're standing beside the casket of a loved one. It's hard to be thankful when you're facing the horrors of cancer. It's hard to be thankful when you're not sure where the next paycheck is coming from. But what Jonah does in this chapter, he reminds us that in the midst of the storms, we have the presence of God. You know, we were studying this morning over in the Sunday school hour, the story of David and Goliath. David and Goliath. And David comes before this giant. When all the other armies and the soldiers of Israel, including Saul himself, the king, were not looking for God to help. They were not reaching out for the almighty God to be their strength. They were looking at themselves and their spears and their armor. And David comes on the scene. And he says to the great giant, I come in the name of the Almighty God. And one of the commentators I read was, doesn't knowing the Almighty God, doesn't that make a difference in our worldview and how we live? Knowing that God is on our side, that greater is he that is in us, than he that is in the world. We may be in a dark place. We may be in a deep place. But we're always in a divine place. 
because we are in the very presence of God. God has promised to always be there with us and for us. There's a word that I've mentioned recently, and you've heard it often. It's providence. Providence. And it seems as though in the past few years, whether on purpose, like in Sunday school when I chose the book Esther to study, uh, and, and knew that the book of Esther was all about the providence of God, whether it's a text or a book that I selected to purposely speak on God's providence or open a text like this one, and the word providence just seems to jump up off the page. It just seems in recent days that every time I move to a text and open the scriptures, there's the providence of God. Because the providence of God is not just in Jonah 2. It's not just in the book of Esther. The providence of God is what the Bible is about. And J. Vernon McGee described the providence of God as the, the hand of God in the glove of history. The hand of God in the glove of history. The glove doesn't move apart from the hand. God is the one who moves history. And God, as we look at this story, God sends the wind. God provides the fish. God commands the fish. God's in charge. And we find ourselves in the presence of God always. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And Jonah understands that. Jonah understands that even though he's in a dark place, he's in a deep place, he understands that his experience is not by chance, it's not by luck, it's not by blind fate, but God's got his hand in his circumstances. Like David, that should make all the difference in the world, how we live and how we act, to know that God is in control. Every dark place is also a divine place. God says, Jonah, I'm here. You know, it's interesting, too, in Jonah's prayer. For example, in verse 4, he says, I've been banished from your sight. I've been banished, God. Where are you? You see, Jonah's human. He's just like we are. He knows God's presence is with him. And yet there are times as he's drifting through the water and the currents of the sea, God, where are you? <laughs> are we not the same? We know God's promise to never leave us nor forsake us. We know that. We know that God is always with us, that we always have the indwelling presence of God's Spirit, and yet, in our dark places, in our deep places, do we not, like Jonah, at times feel a little bit distant from God? Or we feel as though God has distanced himself from us. And so we too, like Jonah, we feel this way sometimes. That's almost normal, I suppose, when you're in, when you're in the midst of the storm and the pain and the suffering. To ask those questions like, God, where are you? But then in his next breath, oh, 
He says, but I remember you, Lord. <laughs> it's like us. We do the same thing. Where are you, God? I, you know, I'm going through this, and God, it just doesn't seem as though you're here to help me. Oh, wait a minute. I, yeah, okay, you're with me. We waver sometimes back and forth. That seems to be who we are. We know the truth of being in a divine place, and yet, boy, when we're in that dark and deep place, sometimes it's hard to figure out, God, are you really on my side? He is, but sometimes it doesn't feel that way, does it? It just doesn't. So we're like Jonah, you know, where are you, God? Oh, then he says down in verse 7, but, oh, I remember you, Lord. Oh, I remember you're with me. And we need to remember that this morning, that God is always in that deep and dark place. Even when we may not feel like he is, we need to understand he really, really is. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You see, no matter where we are in life, whether it's a hard time or a happy time, being in that divine place ought to cause us to be grateful. Thank you, God, that when I go through this storm, you have promised to be with me right there in the middle. That's the promise of God. But also, Jonah says, he's in a delivering place. A delivering place. In verse 17, remember, Jonah's drowning now. He's about ready to take his last breath. And the Lord, in verse 17, provides a huge fish. Not to destroy, but to deliver. Jonah is delivered because of this fish. And then down in verse 10 of chapter 2, the Lord commands then the fish and it vomits Jonah onto dry ground. Uh, you see there in verse 9, he, sh uh, he says, But I with shouts of gratitude, shouts of grateful praise, I'm going to sacrifice, and what I have vowed, I will make good. See, what Jonah's saying, thank you, God. Thank you for saving me from drowning in the Mediterranean Sea. Thank you for, for providing for me this great fish. And now, I will obey you. I make it a vow, God, that I will now follow through with the command. I will go now to Nineveh. And he does make good on his promise. Over in chapter 3 and verse 3, it says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. Now, one of the key verses, if not the key verse in this whole section, is found right there at the end of verse 9 of chapter 2. Salvation comes or belongs to God. This is a theme of the entire Bible. That salvation is a gift from God. Salvation is by grace and through faith. God was under no obligation to save Jonah. He was under no obligation to deliver Jonah. But he did. And Jonah, he deserved to die. His, he was disobedient to God. But instead, God showed incredible mercy. He showed Jonah incredible mercy. And then Nineveh is visited by Jonah. Jonah goes to Nineveh. And notice what happens in the city. Look at chapter 3 and verse 5. 
It says the Ninevites believed God. And a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. In other words, they turned to God from their evil ways. See, that's what Jonah was afraid of. <laughs> Jonah was afraid that this is what would happen. This is why he didn't want to go. But it's because he thought, if I go to Nineveh, and they repent of their sins, and they turn to God, God will withdraw his judgment from them, which is exactly what God does. Down in verse 10, it says, when God saw, in verse uh, chapter 3, when God saw what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways and relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. The very destruction he threatened, he did not bring upon them because the Bible says they turned to God from their evil ways. And that's what Jonah feared. Because Jonah thought in his mind, they deserve judgment. They do not deserve the grace and the mercy of God. But Jonah didn't either, did he? Jonah, he didn't deserve the mercy of God. He deserved to die as well. But let me bring this closer to home. You don't deserve the mercy of God either. You deserve death. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. And everyone born on this planet deserves to die. No one deserves the mercy of God. No one deserves the grace of God. The Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of his glory. We've fallen short of what he intends for us to be. We don't deserve his mercy. The Ninevites didn't deserve his mercy. Jonah didn't deserve his mercy, and neither do we. But the Ninevites, it says they repented and turn to God. And Jonah, in this prayer, repents and turns to God. And the same needs to be true for us. The way we avoid death, the wages of sin, is to repent of our sin and turn to God. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. You know, the most dreadful part of the sufferings of Christ on the cross was not his physical agony. That was not the most dreadful part, but being separated from his father. You remember when Jesus on the cross cried out, my God, my God, why? Why have you forsaken me? You know what the answer to that is? One is, is because he bore the sins of the world and God was not able to look upon him bearing our sins. But another answer is, is so that God would never have to forsake mankind. He forsook his son. Jesus bore the sins of the world. Jesus, he bore your sins and he bore my sins. And the Bible says when we trust him and believe that he did that for us, that he stood in our place, he was our substitute, we're given eternal life. We don't have to die an eternal death. Or separation from God, which is what eternal death is. But we are given eternal life. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But the Bible says, for God, he so loved the world 
And he gave his one and only begotten son. And whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. You see, we were born into this world separated and alienated and enemies of God. And we deserve death. We deserve eternal death. Eternal separation throughout all eternity. But God has shown his mercy. We read in the book of Titus. We read in Titus chapter 3. He saved us. Not because of righteous things we have done, but because of his mercy. It's not what you have done. You don't earn salvation. You can't do anything to come into the family of God. It's not good things you do. It's his mercy that saves us. And so Jonah says at the end of this prayer in chapter 2, salvation belongs to God. It's a free gift that God gives to us when we admit our sin and believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. Now that's something we can be thankful for, a great salvation that has been freely given to us, full and free. Father, we come before your presence with thanksgiving this morning. We know, Lord, that we often live in dark and dreary places. But Father, help us to be reminded in this story that you are always with us. Lord, that should make a difference, knowing that, Lord, your hand is in the glove of our lives. And so, Father, I thank you for this story, for the gratefulness of Jonah. Help us, too, to be grateful. Lord, not just this time of year, but always, knowing, Lord, that you are a great God who only does good things for his children. We thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing another Thanksgiving song that we sing at this time of year. Hymn number 569. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings and name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Let's stand together. We're going to sing all four stanzas, and then we'll be dismissed. When upon life's billows you tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one, Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Are you ever burdened with a load? <coughs> Does the cross seem heavy or call to bear? Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly. Be singing as the days go by. 
Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Your many blessings, see what God has done. When you look at others with lands and gold, <coughs> Money cannot buy reward in heaven nor your home. <clears throat> Count your blessings one by one. Count and see what God has done. <clears throat> your blessings, name them one by one. <clears throat> So amid the conflict, they're great or small. Do not be discouraged, God is over all. Your many blessings angels will attend. And comfort give you to your journeys and Count your blessings, name them one by one. See what God has done. Count your blessings. <coughs> what God has done. Father, we do thank you for the shower of blessings that you have poured out upon us. Father, we are so thankful that, as this song states, that, Father, you have done a lot for us, great things on our behalf. Let us be thankful for those things. And also, for Father, help us to remember that you have promised to be with us at all times. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.